Thanks, Pastor John, and uh, good morning. Welcome to all of you here. It's, uh, I'm surprised in a good way to see so many people on a long weekend. This is fantastic. So if you're uh, regular or maybe you're just dropping in because you are camping nearby or RVing, that's, uh, you're all just, I'm so excited that you're here today. I'm ex- I was excited to see the kids. I'm, I just love it when these little ones come up onto the stage. They get their Bible and they hold, they hold it with such pride and joy and, and just start flipping through it right away, right? And uh, just a fantastic start as kids begin reading. Um, an example for all of us in how we should uh, value the Word of God. Uh, so if you have your Bible this morning, open it up to Philippians. We're in uh, chapter 1 still as we've begun a series about three, four weeks ago in this book, wonderful book that is characterized by such incredible joy. In fact, the series we're doing this summer is called Joy in the Midst of Anything. And so if you are here this morning and you're in the midst of a joyful season in your life, opportunity to increase that. If it's a season that's difficult for you, an opportunity for you this morning to be encouraged and to experience the joy that God has for you. And I'm excited when, uh, as Pastor John said, when, uh, when people uh, join the church as ministry partners or become baptized. So congratulations to our uh, Agassiz attendees, uh, Carla, Bill. Uh, so excited uh, that you are here and that you're involved and you're committed to the mission and the vision and the purpose that Central has. And Bill, you have to be careful again what you say. You'll be a spare anything. So I'm not going to forget that. It's in my back pocket here. You just might be surprised what I'll call call you for. And Carla, I know that's your heart too. And you've been, you have blessed me, both of you, in such amazing ways as you've given yourselves wholeheartedly to the good news of Jesus. So as many of you know, um, Marcy and I, we bought uh, a townhouse in, in Agassiz, and moved in about a month ago, and we're finally starting to settle. Um, the renos that we uh, started were supposed to have actually have been completed before we moved in. They started the day we moved in, so we had a good uh, run of uh, glamping, we called it, you know, doing dishes either in the bathtub or the backyard, because all we had was a tub and a toilet. But hey, we roof over our head, we had a place to shower, we had a place to, you know, use the facilities, and what more could you ask for, Right. Uh, But I tell you, this last month, I have read and I have followed enough instruction and installation guides and manuals and books to keep me satisfied for years to come. That's a nice way of saying that I've pretty much had enough. (laughs) But you see, I do this because um, of that one time when I didn't follow the instructions, and it wasn't in a house that we owned, it was a rented house of all things. I won't tell you the whole story, but I did cause some damage. It was actually, it was actually a beautiful old Victorian style home in Saskatoon, the kind that has these really wide hardwood window frames, like we're talking gorgeous hardwood from turn of the century kind of stuff. And I was installing some <clears throat> window blinds, and I thought, I know how to do this. Tossed the book, zip, 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 drill the holes. Well, that center one was in the completely the wrong place, and now there's these holes in this beautiful hardwood that uh, I had to uh, uh, repent of my mistakes to the owner of the house, who was very gracious with me. But now, needless to say, I follow the book. 
So when I get something that needs to be installed or put together, the very first thing I do now, in fact, is I open the box and I get that book, I leave everything in there and I just start reading it. And then when you actually take the pieces out, it kind of mostly makes sense. And then you begin going back to the beginning to and follow the instructions step by step. And surprise, surprise, lo and behold, it usually works out. But it amazes me how many people go through life without referring to the instruction manual first, if not at all. And so I'm here to encourage you this morning to, uh, to use this book, the Bible, because it will save a lot of time, a lot of stress, ultimately, hopefully, minimize some damage, uh, because the Bible actually instructs us on how to live. So t- our text today, while it is an example from the Apostle Paul's life on how he lived and reacted to circumstances, it is meant to be instructive. You see, the, the Apostle Paul's circumstances, which, were, um, which would cause most of us uh, extreme anxiety, um, his circumstances and his response to them instructs us on how to live for Christ. And that's my goal today. So I think that's God's goal for us today. So Philippians chapter 1, we're starting in verse 18b, the middle of verse 18. And we're going to go to uh, 26. So Paul says, he reinforces what he had just talked about, where he says, and in this, in that, I rejoice. We'll refer back to what that is. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that... With full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose, I cannot tell. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account." Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may, be, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Uh, this passage actually, as most do, breaks down nicely into three sections. Uh, each one instructing us from the life and example of Paul, the Apostle Paul, on how to live for Christ. Now, the whole Bible is instructive on how to live for Christ, but this morning, we can only handle so much. So let's focus on these three things from this passage. Uh, Living for Christ means, I'm going to give you the three, and then we're going to get into them step by step. It means living with confidence, it means living with courage, and it means living with conviction. Confidence, courage, and conviction, which are three really good things to focus on as we go into the summer months. So number one, living with confidence, verses 18 through 20. Paul says, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know, I know, that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as is my eager expectation and hope as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not 
be at all ashamed. I know, Paul wrote, I know, I know that I will be delivered. That's confidence. We're going to talk about what this deliverance means in a moment to Paul, what it meant to him. But, but how, could he, how could he be so bold? How could he be so confident? And what was this confidence based on? That's the thing we really need to get at. But first, let's set a little bit of context here. Some of you are, are brand new to this series, so I'm just going to take a little step back. Paul has been telling this amazing church in the city of Philippi where he also spent time in prison. He was released from there, completed some missionary journeys, went back to Jerusalem, was arrested, appealed to Caesar uh, because he was not getting fair treatment in Jerusalem. So he says, he's a Roman citizen. He goes, I want a, I want a hearing before Caesar. And so he was... Uh, deported from Jerusalem over to Rome where he was put uh, under house arrest. He's been in jail waiting to go on trial before the emperor and he is celebrating. Of all things to do in jail, Paul is celebrating. He's rejoicing that the gospel has not been stopped. He is in chains, but the gospel is free. The gospel is free, and it's going forward in powerful ways. And he, re, he rejoices in what God has done in and through this amazing church that he had uh, the privilege of establishing and shepherding for a while, and he's writing them now. He, he is rejoicing in what God is doing in his life, in his current circumstances, as he sits in jail, able to talk freely with the Praetorian guard, with, with Caesar's household itself. Word about him and the good news of Jesus is getting out, in fact, to the whole city. And he's just celebrating this. It didn't matter what people's motives were. Uh, their intent was to harm him, but, but he said, it doesn't matter what motive people have. They're preaching Jesus, and that's what matters. That's what we looked at last week. And then in our passage today, Paul is looking forward to what God will do in the future, what is actually going to happen when he goes to trial. You see, unlike our court system, there were only two possible outcomes to Paul's trial, which was based on uh, this direct appeal to Caesar, which I said is the right that Paul had as a Roman citizen. Now you might think, well, that sounds good. I'm sure a lot of people did that. Not so much, and here's why. Um, if Caesar himself, highest authority, heard your case, and he sided with you, well, that was good. You'd be immediately released, acquitted of all your crimes, and on your way. However, if Caesar uh, heard your case and he ruled against you, you wouldn't be thrown back into jail. You would be executed. That's it. Um, this was a life-or-death moment in Paul's life. And so we would expect him to sort of be sitting on pins and needles, you know, anxiously wringing his hands, waiting to hear what will happen. Yet that is not the tone of this letter at all. This is the letter that is characterized by joy. Paul rejoices throughout this whole letter, eagerly telling this church about the greatness of God, what he has done, and what he confidently expects God God will do because he is, first of all, he is confident in prayer. Now, this is the basis of, uh, 
of, of, his, uh, of his confidence, first of all, is through their prayers. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers, this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul is certain that he will live through this trial, that he won't be put to death, and that he will return to them. And there's good reason to think that he was actually released from this imprisonment before going back in where he actually was uh, executed. But there's more going on in this text than really meets the eye. The word deliverance can also be translated salvation. And then in verse 20, he writes, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. Paul expects at this trial that he'll be vindicated, not be put to shame. And if that is where the verse stopped, we would assume that he expects to get out of jail, no problem. But notice how that verse actually ends. But that with full courage now, and we're going to come back to that word, but with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So Paul has confidence that in this upcoming trial, he'll be vindicated and that Christ will be honored whether or not he is released from jail. Didn't matter. You might say, well, how does that work? How are you going to be vindicated, Paul, if you're dead? <laughs> like, that's not vindication, is it? At the very beginning of a letter, <clears throat> Paul wrote to the church where he is now in prison, Romans <laughs> chapter 1, verse 16, we find these words. Sound familiar? He said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. There's those words, not ashamed, and salvation, deliverance. Paul is unashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to save. Period. Whatever form that salvation takes, Paul didn't concern himself with. Yeah, he expected he would get out of jail, but even if he didn't, whether in my life or my death, he said, I will not be ashamed. I will be vindicated. There will be deliverance. When I stand before God in that trial that really matters in heaven before the righteous judge, I will not be put to shame. And there, he, uh, Paul is, is saying, I will, I will not be found guilty I have been a faithful servant unto death. I have been forgiven of my sins. And Paul counted, he, he described himself as the chief of sinners. He gave approval to people's death. He was a murderer, a violent man, he called himself, an insolent, violent persecutor of the church. And yet he knew that upon his death, he would be vindicated because he was faithful to Christ. He was forgiven because of the grace of Jesus Christ that Bill talked about in his testimony here. His sins would not be counted against him unashamed. And the same can be said of every single one of us if we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. It's the only basis of salvation. Go earlier into the book of Acts, after the early church, the, the disciples there, I talked about it last week, I'll talk about it a bit more this morning. Um, they were persecuted because they kept talking about Jesus. <laughs> Thrown in jail, threatened with beatings, 
told not to talk about Jesus anymore. And that they go right out and they say, you know what? There's no other name given to men under heaven by which you might be saved, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And that's why Paul was unashamed. And the same can be said of me and of you if we put our faith in this Jesus, if we've confessed our sins, repented and turned away from them, and trusted that Jesus has paid for those sins. And, and I want to tell you this morning, there, there is, just listen to this, listen. There is no trial in your life that can put you to shame before God. There's only one trial that matters. And that's when we stand before the righteous judge. And he will either count as worthy or not based on one thing. Have we trusted in Jesus Christ? And in this, Paul says, this will happen through your prayers. Paul put a lot of weight and emphasis on prayer. Do we believe in this kind of power through prayer? Prayer that will actually deliver and save. Do we? Do we really believe it? You know, you often hear after a tragedy, you know, a politician will get in front of the news cameras and, or go on Twitter and, you know, hashtag our thoughts and prayers are with you kind of a thing. And you go, you know, if you're cynical like me, you hear that and you roll your eyes a bit and you go, yeah, right. Are your thoughts and prayers are with me? Are you really going to, are you really going to pray about this situation for me? And, and, it, and we think it means nothing because we don't ever expect that person will ever spend a moment praying for those people. At least that's the way I think. And, and so it becomes a meaningless platitude, a nice thing to say, but it doesn't really have much substance, very political. And I think that in the church, we, we can buy into that line of thinking, right? We talk with one another, we fellowship, we have coffee, um, we're in a life group, maybe, and somebody shares uh, a trial that they're going through or a difficulty or whatever, and we say, oh, I'll pray for you. But we don't. Like there, we go home and we hardly give it a second thought because we probably never really intended to, to begin with. It just sounds nice, well, I'll pray for you. And if we're brutally honest, you know, we, we have to say maybe we didn't intend to because we often don't believe really that it will do anything. Right? Am I the only one who thinks this way? <laughs> We say things, well, I guess all I can do is pray. Well, it's like we've tried everything else, nothing works, so we just kind of have to resort to this. A shot in the dark. But we have to be challenged by the way Paul thinks and talks and writes, don't we? He took this seriously. And, and I love... Uh, been as, just as Vivian said, you know, here with the kids, we've seen these little ones now <clears throat> since we started this campus almost six years ago. Come all the way through from the nursery up to getting that Bible and entering into grade school and being able to read. We've seen right at the very beginning a prayer group that was formed that has met every single Sunday without exception for six years now at 9.30 in the morning in this hall. 
And I know there's others. Uh, there's a prayer chain. There's life groups who pray. There's all kinds of things. And I want to tell you, we take are praying seriously, and I'm so encouraged by the people who come every Sunday morning. And by the way, you're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome to uh, share your requests so that we can pray with them. You're welcome to join us to pray with us. And I am so encouraged by the faithfulness of this group and also by the effectiveness of this group because we have seen, right, time and time again, answers to prayer where people have come to faith in Jesus, where people have been healed, where people have been delivered from different circumstances in their lives, including in my own family. And I am so grateful. I am so grateful. And, and this is why we offer prayer every week after our services. And I sometimes feel sorry for the prayer partners who stand on the sides with the tag on prayer and they often stand there by themselves. But I want to guarantee you, they're not just standing there. They're praying. They pray before the service. They pray during the service. They pray after the service, whether or not you come and tap their shoulder. But I want to invite you, come and tap their shoulder. Is there something you want to rejoice in? Is there something that you have need of? Come and pray. We take it seriously. And... Uh, and we invite you to, to pray. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. The second thing is the help of the Spirit of Jesus. It's already up there. I, I just love what Charles uh, Spurgeon said years ago. He said, prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscle of omnipotence. And the muscle of omnipotence is the spirit of Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit, the power that has worked in us and through us and among us. Amen? God has given us his spirit of power. In Mark 13, Jesus promised his disciples this. He said, and when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus said to his disciples, and Paul is probably the best example of, of putting this kind of uh, promise of Jesus into action. Well, the others were too. Peter and all the rest at the beginning, they were thrown into jail. What did they do? Did they go into hiding? Did they cower in fear? Did they say, ooh, it was me? Nope. They gathered all the disciples and they said, we got to pray. We got to pray for boldness. We got to pray for courage. And when they did, it says the place where they met was shaken. The Holy Spirit empowered them to do more, to live for the glory of God. So Jesus says, do not be anxious. And so what is Paul doing before his trial? He is celebrating that the Holy Spirit will be at work through the prayers of this Philippian church. And again, prayer isn't the last resort. It is the means by which Paul will go through this trial. It is his only resort. Prayer is not a throwaway sentence to make someone feel better, but it is the God-ordained means through the power of the Holy Spirit by which we will be given grace to go through suffering. 
So why do we look down on prayer so much? It ought to be our first resort to go to God. And, and Paul said in Ephesians to the church there, he said, be praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. On Facebook yesterday, I saw this little quote. I thought it was pretty cool. It said, if God can make a bug's bottom light up to decorate the night sky, imagine all he can do in your life. <laughs> Amen. Can I get a witness to that? And so in Ephesians, earlier on, Paul said, now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all else, that we could ask or think or even imagine according to the power that is at work within us, the spirit of Jesus Christ, to him be glory in the church and by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever, amen. And so now this confidence allows us to secondly, to live with courage. <clears throat> Going on now to verse 20, the second part, but that with full courage, now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. That really is like the key uh, verse of not only this chapter, but really the whole book. Right there. Like, you want a Bible verse that's easy to remember? Philippians uh, 1.21, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Don't forget it. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, which, yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Paul makes this amazing claim that no matter what happens to him, he's going to come out on top. It is a win-win scenario. There is no losing here. There is no losing how many of us can say that? What I'm going through right now is win-win, even if I face death. Especially if I face death. That's the best. <laughs> we don't hear that much these days, hey? We, we, we avoid language around death. We, our culture sanitizes death. We don't embrace it, look forward to it, but we should. Not in a fatalistic, you know, Paul wasn't depressed or suicidal, you know, having a death wish, but he longed for it, but he says that's far better. It's far better to be with Christ personally, yet for your sake, eh, I don't know, I want to stay because I got all this work to do, and yet, oh, I want to see Jesus. I've served him my whole life. I just want to see him. And that was my mom. What a beautiful thing. My mom passed away in uh, February. And we buried her on March the 1st. A beautiful experience. Beautiful. You know, the difference between 
a Christian funeral and a secular funeral is astounding. There's so much hope and joy and peace and longing and celebration. And I have done enough non-Christian funerals now. I love them because they're great opportunities to present the good news of Jesus and the hope that we can have. But I tell you, there, were, there are some, there are many where people cannot get through the day without being high or drunk. Just can't do it. And that's sad. Paul said, for me, it's a win-win. First of all, living with courage means to live, to live as Christ. I mean, if we're here, it's about Jesus. It's about fruitful labor. What was at the top of Paul's bucket list? <laughs> Striving for others. That's what he said, fruitful labor. You know, most people, when they find out they're about to die, they make a, a, a so their bucket list all of a sudden takes on big priority. You know, we, bucket list has become big since then. Was it a movie, bucket list? Yeah, okay, whatever. I mean, I guess I have my bucket list things too. You know, I went, and Marcy and I had our anniversary dinner at the Inn at Bay Fortune, Michael Smith's restaurant, a PEI. Like, yeah, that's one of those bucket list things. I'm just, just confessing my sins, all right? It's a, it's a beautiful thing. Paul, when he was about to die, he didn't make a list of things he wanted for himself. He did this the opposite. For me to live is Christ because that means that I get to help more of you. <laughs> and to die, he said, and, the other, and to die is gain. Personally, it's the better of the two options, Paul said. Not even a contest, not even close, Paul said. To depart, be with Jesus? <laughs> That's awesome. Try it at a party sometime. Talk about how great it would be to die. <laughs> uh. Here's why it's so great. At the end of his life, 2 Timothy, last letter he wrote to a, a personal mentee, someone who had... Uh, who worked alongside with him in ministry and who, would, who was basically doing Paul's work and while he was in jail. It was a young guy named Timothy. And Paul said, you know what? For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, as a drink offering, and the time for my departure has come. He, he knew eventually this is it. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So listen again. Listen really carefully. Death is isn't the end of everything good in our lives. It's actually the beginning. It's actually the beginning. Heaven 
will so far outdo all of the pleasures of earth and all of the Michael Smith restaurant experiences, which is a little taste of heaven, by the way, (laughs) that there will be no looking back. There will be no looking back when we come face to face with our Savior. And there will be nobody thinking or saying, oh, how I wish I could have spent more time on earth. It's like a, like, a, like a kid on vacation at Disneyland who goes there and says, Mom, I just wish that I could go back to school right now. <laughs> right? Doesn't happen. We think so very little of heaven. Instead, we need to think a lot about what... We need to think a lot about heaven and, and, and less about all of the pleasures and experience and things that we want to do before we die. You know, the bucket list. Uh, there was a, a news article that caught our attention uh, just last Friday, June 21. A terminally ill woman left with, this was CTV News here, left with $52,000 in medical bills after a bucket list trip. So what she wanted, had intended to be a good thing to go on this trip in the Bahamas with her family ended up going horribly wrong because, you see, she was terminally ill, so she didn't qualify for insurance and decided, I'm going to make the trip anyway. Well, two days into this cruise in the Bahamas, the ship had to port in Nassau because she was critically ill. And they said, you're too ill to send you home on a commercial flight. We have to send you by air ambulance all the way to Ontario. And now, instead of this joyful experience, her kids, they say in the news report here, her kids, all of them, had to empty their bank accounts to pay for this flight. It was a $52,000 flight. Now, I... I'm not trying to pick on a person who's dying. That's not my intent. All I'm saying is that we need a bigger and better perspective. We need to understand that for the Christian to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It is a place of no more pain, no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more tears, sadness, sickness, or sin It is a place of unending joy and gladness. And we need to set our sights on that, friends. We need to set our sights on that. I talked to my my dad the other day. He talks a lot about heaven since my mom passed away. And his health isn't great either. But he was in such a good mood the other day when I phoned him. He was out for coffee with his friends. I'm glad he's got good friends. But he said, Eldon... I want to tell you a little story about this rich farmer here in Saskatchewan who thought he could take it all with him to heaven. And then so he, uh, he stockpiled a little bit of gold and he put it in a bag and when he died, he took this bag with him and he met St. Peter at the gate and Peter says, what you got in the bag? So he opens the bag and Peter looks in and he says, what are you doing with, the, with that pavement? Like, we just use that to pave the streets up here. Like, what are you doing with that? Anyway. Then my dad laughed. Paul said, for me to die is gain. 
They use that stuff to pave the streets up there. Gold. And here it's so valuable to us. The other day, uh, Marcy and I were reading our daily bread. Actually, we listened to it online. And there was a great devotional. So if you go back to Wednesday, I'd encourage you to read this. It's called Your Eulogy. And I don't have time to read it all, but it's based on Ecclesiastes 7, verses 1 through 6. And verse 2 says this. Death is the, this is scripture. Death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. And it talks about, actually, how do you take it to heart? Uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes. Something we got to do. So living with this kind of courage, living uh, and confidence, uh, and allows us then to live finally with conviction. We'll end with this. I was going to try to get you guys out of here early on a long weekend. Maybe, maybe we'll end on time, okay? We'll try. Uh, it allows us, third, to live with conviction. So when we, when we live with this kind of confidence in Christ and we live with the kind of courage that Paul had, because it didn't matter to him what the outcome was, right? It allows us to live with conviction. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account, convinced of this. So Paul had conviction. I'm convinced. I know that I'm going to remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me, in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. First of all, Paul's first conviction was this. This is the way he lived his life. For your progress and joy in the faith. Quite the bucket list, eh? Top of my list? I want to make sure that you, your faith is progressing. I want to make sure you have the same joy I do. It's amazing. Paul's, Paul's focus, the top of his list, is that when I see that you are making progress, when you have as much joy as I have, then I'm fulfilled. Because I know that heaven is our goal, and I will see to it that you progress in your faith so that you and others can experience all that God has for you now and in the future. And that, friends, is purpose. That is living with conviction. And it puts me to shame. Secondly, that you may have ample cause to glory in Christ. This is also at the top of Paul's bucket list. That through his imprisonment and impending death, others would progress in their faith, have increased joy, and have more and more reason to give glory to Christ. Wow. I'm almost inclined to write that out as a purpose statement for my life and put it on the fridge. That through my imprisonment and impending death, others would progress in their faith, have increased joy, and have more and more reason to glory in Christ. So let me conclude this morning by asking this question. What's on your bucket list? When you think about what you want to accomplish before you leave this life, what is on that list? Is it, is it just fun experiences and more travel and great restaurants? And listen, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing with enjoying life. 
We all need breaks. We need vacations, time away. We need rest. We need good food. I think we do anyway. Come on. Can I get a witness to that? Um, Nothing wrong with that. But is that the reason for our life? Or do we desire greater glory? The, the, The hymn that you chose this morning, Elise, awesome. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. But be thou my vision. Be thou my vision, O ruler of all. So can we take a moment to rethink our priorities and maybe make a new bucket list? It's a great weekend to do that. It's uh, Canada Day. Time to reflect. Have fun. Watch some fireworks. Go to parades. Eat pancake breakfasts and all of that. But it's a time to reflect on what our priorities are. So can I suggest this morning that we trade the fleeting joys that we could experience now for the greater eternal joys that are coming in Jesus? Can we work now for the kingdom of God? Can we give ourselves now to see the glory of Jesus spread in this area so that our neighbors might know something of the greatness of Jesus, not the vacation that we took? That our lives would be so given to Christ that when we lay dying in our hospital bed, even the nurses and the doctors would hear the good news of Jesus from our lips. That we could say with the Apostle Paul, to live is Christ and to die is all gain. Could we make that our list? And can we, like Paul, live our lives for Christ with confidence, with courage, and with conviction. Let's pray. Jesus, you are so good and you're the reason why we do all of this. You're the reason we're here today. It's your breath in our lungs, so we give you our praise. We owe all to you. Our lives, our salvation, even our suffering. Lord, we give you praise in it and through it because in those things you want to accomplish in us just like the things that you accomplished in Paul, that it would cause us more rejoicing and refocus priorities, more confidence, more courage, and more conviction that others would gain from what you've given us, that others would come to know of your greatness, to glory in Christ Jesus. Lord, give us those desires. They're not natural ones. We need them by the power of your Holy Spirit and through prayer. So we thank you, Lord, for this long weekend to rest uh, the country we live in of great freedom. Lord, we don't take that for granted. Help us to use, take this as an opportunity to evaluate our bucket list. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.